0: One, two, three, four. You're listening to Highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Janet Burroway. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. There's a lot of controversy about that idea at the moment, about whether fiction is truly empathic and how much freedom the imagination should have. Because as one of my friends says, the imagination is not free. It comes from all of the places that we come from. So it's a controversial notion, but I am firmly on the side of literature is empathic. In fact, I think all the arts are empathic because all the arts basically say, wait a minute, look at it this way and they allow us to see from some other vantage point than our extremely self-interested selves. In the seventh grade in Emerson Grammar School in Phoenix, Arizona, my English teacher, Mr. Allsworth, found that I was writing poetry. He looked at my poetry, which was very rudimentary, but I was trying. I was eleven and he kept me after school Thursday afternoons for an hour for the whole semester to teach me the poetic feat and he essentially taught me prosody, which nobody else ever offered to teach me all the way through high school and university and graduate school and he taught me so well when I was that young that I could lecture on prosody at Sussex University when I was 30. I felt very confident and even sometimes powerful to have this knowledge when I wanted to write a poem. And so I think that led me to believe that if I could teach techniques to students, it would be a powerful tool for them. I wish I had had Mary Lee Settle's advice on research when I started. I ran into it, luckily, when I was writing my first historical novel. And she said, immerse yourself in the writing of the period, the letters, the journals, the newspapers that were coming out then. Don't read about the period, read in it. And don't take notes. That was the most important piece of of advice because I had been a terrible note taker. I was taught that's the way to do a research paper. And so I had three by five cards falling off the desk when I was writing a novel, you know, (laughs) and it was wonderful advice. She said, if you truly immerse yourself, what you need will be there when you come to it. And if it doesn't, it probably isn't needed. And that was important advice, because the trouble is that if you've got all this research written down and you feel you have to get it in, your fiction reads like a piece of nonfiction. She had a third piece of advice. The third piece was don't read past the period where your novel ends, because if you do, your characters will know what the future is. So Mary Lee Settle was another great teacher for me. The great Indian novels, East Indian novels, are mostly about immigration. And I think that has struck a very strong chord because all of us in some way feel like exiles. I remember many years ago, there was an AWP conference, the Associated Writing Programs conference, and there was a panel on immigration, or I guess on exile and the place was packed. I mean, everybody came to hear this panel discussion and the panelists were all exiles from some war-torn or politically chaotic country. And they talked about their experience, which was all very interesting, but I felt a kind of restiveness in the crowd. And at one point I said, you know, I think that we are uneasy here because all writers feel like exiles and we are trying to identify what it is in us that feels somehow left out. My eldest son, who was always rather to my horror, in love with the army. I never knew where it came from. Thought in terms of honor and glory and defending the country. And it was always very hard for me to understand, but we managed to love each other very much, even though our worldviews were very different. But one way of putting what happened to him is that he came round to my point of view. He went to Iraq as a D-minor, removing mines. And he came back horrifically disappointed and angry at the contractors and the army itself and the way the war was being run and the lies that had been told. And two months after he went back from Iraq to his family, he took his own life. And I found, as soon as a week later, that there was no way I could stand it except by writing, 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 writing. And I wrote everything I was going through every day, a lot of the day. And after a while I realized that I was talking about my grief, but I wasn't talking about his life. So I started adding everything that I remembered about his life and writing and writing and writing. So then I had, you know, hundreds of pages of journal and I thought there was a book in it that might be helpful to other people who had gone through this extraordinary grief. By the time I got to the point that it was ended, I felt, and I feel it's in the book, that the memories become happy. And what happens is you never get over it, but you do get to the place that you can celebrate the life in your mind. One woman in a very early reading stood up and said, How does it feel standing up and talking about your son this way? And I stopped and thought about it. And I said, it makes me feel that part of him is still alive, which is the way I felt about the writing. It begins with a quotation from Hilary Mantel about how all you can do is write them back into life. And so when I do a reading from that book, I feel I'm talking him back into life. And insofar as the people I read to hear about him, that he's spread in the world, spread around. I absolutely love to be in rehearsal. It's partly just hearing your own words, beautifully spoken, (laughs) that's a great experience. But it's also the communality of the theater is a great pleasure to me. It's a place that what I do fits into what everybody else does. And they are bringing to life what I've written. And that's just a terribly exciting communal process. I love theater people. They're very generous in my estimation. And I think the whole, you know, in England, they speak of the lovey culture, all the loveys who always are loving them. It's very difficult to put a successful play together. It involves so many different elements, you know, it's very difficult. And I think theater people, as I've experienced them, are very generous to each other for that reason. They know how hard it is. You're very exposed. As you think about the future and the importance of the arts, you know, education, the kind of changes we're going through, you know, what would you like to change? What are your hopes? What do you think young people should know, preserve, and remember? Well, those are a lot of questions. First of all, I share... The optimism that you've expressed about the very young, the millennials, are the possible salvation. And I think those also are the people who are wanting to write because the writing feels good and not because they want to get rich and famous at it. And the work itself is important to them. And I think that's very encouraging. What should students know? Now her name is going to go out of my head. I'm sorry, I can't come up with it a famous woman writer (laughs) was asked what is the most important thing for a young writer to know. And she said, keep a low overhead. (laughs) That's still true. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.